Good morning, Church, and good morning, Pastor Ming, for sharing that a very informative chart for us to allay our, our fears so that we don't have to uh, be afraid. Amen? But we do assure you that the church is monitoring the situation. We are keeping uh, well in touch with, with the government's uh, uh, data as well. So if, should there be any response, we will keep you updated as well. So thank you, Pastor Ming, for, um, for speaking to our hearts. And since we're on the topic of fear, this month... The theme is actually about a God-fearing lifestyle. A God-fearing lifestyle. And today specifically, I want to show you how a God-fearing lifestyle is and should be a disciple's way of life. And so that's why I've entitled my sharing this morning. That the God-fearing lifestyle is a disciple's way of life. Now in last week's sermon, Pastor Yiming uh, elaborated for us that a God-fearing um, lifestyle is living with a good conscience. You're not paying lip service to God, but rather you are obeying Him, obeying God, rather than fearing men. And Jesus tells us in the Word of God as well that we, need, we should not be a who can kill the body but cannot touch the soul, rather fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. In that sense then, because God can destroy both body and soul in hell, He is the author of life. He gives and He takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's why we need to have that kind of a healthy fear for God rather than men. Now, when I was a young child, I was uh, playful, I, I loved to have uh, fun, I to run around, I was very active. But I have a military dad. And so as much as I knew that I could have fun, uh, I had to be in check. I could not um, over, over, what do you call it, overreact. I could not misbehave because I had a healthy fear of my dad that he would discipline me if I get out of line. Now, I love my father and I respected him for that. And it, it helped me to grow up with this um, healthy fear of my dad who is watching me. My behavior was checked because of this fear in my life. And so therefore, as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we also need to have this healthy fear of God in our lives so that our behaviour has a moral guide. We don't behave however we want, but rather we are aware of God watching us and His very real and powerful discipline. So in view of this then, knowing that God is a God whom we should fear, how should we respond? How should we respond in our relationship with Him? Well, our lifestyles then should reflect our fear of God, right? How we live should reflect that we have this healthy fear of God. And your lifestyle is basically how you live. And that is why your lifestyle is your way of life. You follow me so far? That's your way of life. How you live, that's your way of life. Now, first off, let me just say I just want to say it very clearly that God didn't call us to be Christians. He calls us to be disciples. And let me give you my definitions on, on why I say this, okay? So I hope that this will be able to clarify what I mean when I say that God didn't call us to be Christians. He calls us to be disciples. Now, a Christian believes in Jesus. A disciple believes in Jesus and follows Him. A Christian reads his Bible. A disciple reads his Bible and does what it says. 
Now, Christians go to church on Sundays, but disciples, they are the church, not just on Sundays, but every single day of the week. Okay? So why am I giving you all these definitions? Why am I giving you all these difficult terminologies to try and confuse you? The reason why I'm doing this is because I have seen and I've heard far too many people call themselves Christians. They give themselves that label, but they choose to live life anyhow they want. They want to live whatever they want. They want to enjoy whatever they do. And in so doing, living the life the way that they live, they give Christ a very bad name. Now, a disciple, on the other hand, humbly lives life the way God wants him to live. And he would never, never do anything to tarnish the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he loves so dearly. And so that's why this morning, I want to say again, that God did not call us to be Christians, but rather he calls us to be disciples. So a God-fearing lifestyle, fear of God, a healthy fear of God, is and should be a disciple's way of life. And we're going to see three characteristics that reflect this. Are you ready? One person, two. Are you ready to hear the Word of God this morning? Amen. Okay, so we're going to look at this month's golden verse. And as we are looking at this, can I just request everyone to rise with me as we read out this verse out loud. And those of you who are watching online, you can read it out loud as well. Let your neighbors be blessed by the hearing of the Word of God coming out from your mouth. Okay, here we go. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Please remain standing as we look to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just want to thank you that we have this opportunity to come in your presence to your sanctuary to worship you. And we thank you, Lord, even for those who cannot join us physically but are joining us online, that your presence is there with them as well. And Father, we want to thank you, God, that from the assurance of your word, we, can, we need not fear the, 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 the going-ons in this world because we have a healthy fear in you. We thank you, Lord, that we can trust in you and that, we can, uh, that you are sovereign over these situations. This morning, speak to our hearts and challenge us to live the way of life that you want us to live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Now, by studying these verses here, the Golden Monthly Verse, I'm going to propose to you that there are going to be three characteristics of a disciple's way of life. And the first characteristic that we can see very clearly out there is worship. Worship is a disciple's way of life. Turn to your neighbor and say, worship is a disciple's way of life. This is found in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, worship that is true and proper is offering our bodies as a sacrifice to God. Now, in the olden times, sacrifice is literally talking about the giving of one's life. Okay, you would sacrifice 
In certain cultures and practices back then, they would sacrifice young children, they would sacrifice babies. And then later on, it developed to sacrificing animals on behalf of human bodies. And then in our modern terms today, we understand sacrifice as a totally different thing. We know that sacrifice is talking about us giving up certain pleasures, giving up certain privileges. Okay, so that's the concept that we are going to go with today. So no killing, no, killing, no murdering, but sacrificing our desires and our preferences for as our act of worship to God. But look at that verse again. Wait, what do you see there? Does it say, in view of God's mercy? Where is this coming from? Why is Paul taking that we should worship God in view of God's mercy? You should sacrifice your lives in view of God's mercy. And so, uh, what Paul, Paul is not saying that you should sacrifice your bodies because it's the religiously commanded thing to do. Paul's not saying that. He's not saying, because of the rules of God, sacrifice. No. Paul is saying, in fact, he is urging you, brothers and sisters, sacrifice your, your, your lives in view of God's mercy. So he's not giving an instruction because it is a law but He's giving you an urging because you see God's mercy. Worship is our response in view of God's mercies. Worship is our response in view of God's mercies. And I'm so glad that Ariel chose to sing that song earlier on. We didn't communicate, I didn't communicate his message. He didn't tell me his songs. But as, as, as uh, these songs were being sung and the truths were being revealed, wow, it really showed me that God is really moving in our lives, and I thank God that our young brother is listening to the voice of God and following God's instruction in his life. So, Ariel, don't doubt that you have the anointing of God in leading worship, all right? I want to read with you, read for you, the most quoted Bible verse in the Bible. So, this verse is quoted the most often by the Bible. And we're going to look at the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verses 6 to 8. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 to 8. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished, he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. Then Moses bowed to the ground and at once and worshipped him. Now, this is the most quoted verse by the Bible. It's repeated the most um, oftentimes in the, in the Hebrew scriptures. In fact, these verses are referenced in the Old Testament more than 27 times and most often by people who are returning to God, seeking His forgiveness. When you read this passage and when we see this, often we would think, oh, this is Moses. He's coming before God. So let me give you a bit of context. Here's what happened is that Moses has climbed up to the mountain to meet with God. The people had sinned. They had built uh, an idol of a golden calf. And so Moses uh, punished the people. And when he comes back to God again, he says, God, I want to see you. God, you told me to lead these people and it's not easy. God, I want to know you. And when we see this, we look at the verse again, right? We're going to look at the verse again. Please take note. 
that is not Moses declaring praises to God. This is God declaring himself to Moses. God is speaking and revealing himself to Moses this way. He passed in front of Moses and God proclaims, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And after God reveals himself to Moses, Moses immediately bows to the ground and at once falls to worship. This is Moses' request. God, show me who you are. And God, when he comes and reveals himself to Moses, he doesn't start with, I'm all-powerful, I'm almighty, I'm all-awesome. Don't we know that those are truths? We know that those are truths. Yes, God is omnipotent, He's, om He's omnipresent, He's omniscient, He is powerful and awesome God. But God begins by revealing His character, His personality, and His emotional disposition. God is revealing who He is, not what He can do. Now look likewise at one of the most quotable verses in the New Testament today. So that Exodus chapter 34 was the most quotable verse for the people of those olden times in the Old Testament. Today, the most quotable verse for us is John chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. And likewise, these verses talk not about God's mighty power to save, but God's character to love and save. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. What am I saying? God's default setting is relational. God's default setting is not powerful, what I can do, how, omni how, how worthy of worship I am, but God's default setting is relational. Listen to those verses. God's character, loving, sacrificing, forgiving, and saving. Wow. What marvelous mercies of God. So I urge you, my dear brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Not because it is a command that is written there, although yes, we are told to worship God, but primarily worship God in view of His marvellous mercies. Amen? So God wants us to save, reconcile to Him, not so that He can boss us around and give us a set of rules to follow. Yes, that will follow. I mean, rules will come. But He wants us save and reconcile to Him so that we can have this relationship with Him. God wants to have a relationship with you. Turn to your neighbour and say, with you. And secondly, now the Bible also tells us that our bodies are the sanctuaries. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about temples, usually we know that this is a place of worship, this is a place of honour. 
And when our bodies are the places of worship, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God, that's why we offer our bodies. See? We are the temple. We are the dwelling place of God. We're supposed to be holy. So we offer our lives, the temple, as an offering of worship to God. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19, verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. You say it again? Honour God with your bodies. Offer your, uh, your bodies as a living sacrifice, to, as an act of worship before God. So Christian living, Christian living, Christian living does not begin with a set of rules. It does not begin with a set of rules. Though, yes, as we grow in our relationship with God, those will follow. Rules will follow. It does not begin there. Instead, it begins in a very willing, a very glad self-offering unto Him in view of God's mercies. It begins from that place of recognizing the mercy, the forgiving grace of God. And then we grow in our walk and our relationship with Him. As Christians grow deeper in His relationship with God, He becomes a disciple. Now, when I say He, I'm, I'm using interchangeably, okay? So He and she, it just, you know, doubles the time. He becomes a disciple. A disciple obeys God's set of rules, not because we're sacrificing our bodies to behave in a certain way, Okay? We don't sacrifice our bodies so that we can show off the people we are prim and proper, but rather we are sacrificing our bodies because we're obeying God's commands because we love Him. In view of God's mercies, because we love God, we obey your commands. Okay? So this is what a disciple needs to do. A disciple intentionally sets aside time and space to be with God. A disciple intentionally reads the Word of God to study the Scriptures, to spend time in devotion, and as a disciple discovers God's character, worships in response. So we, if we are called to be responsible disciples, we need to sacrifice what? Sleep! Sacrifice what? YouTube, social media, Sacrifice what? Whatever else. Your uh, sports, your fun, your games. We sacrifice these things to put God as a priority. This is our true and proper worship. So worship is a disciple's way of life. Now the second characteristic that we can see in a disciple's way of life is witness. Turn to your other neighbor now and say, witness is a disciple's way of life. Witness. Now, a witness is somebody who testifies about what they have seen, who gives testimonies about their experiences, right? That's what a witness does. Looking at the key verse again, we see that another way we can offer our bodies is by being a testimony to the world, a life that is holy and pleasing to God. See the key verse, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In verse 2, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, earlier on, I shared with you how uh, 
the scriptures show us that our bodies are the temples uh, of the Holy Spirit, right? We saw that earlier on. But you know, the temple of Jerusalem is the context that the people would have. So when they were, when Paul was writing to uh, the Corinthians, they would have the context of the temple in Jerusalem. And if you know the temple of Jerusalem, those of you who have been there, you know that the temple is built on top of a hill. So you have to imagine that pilgrims, as they are journeying towards Jerusalem, as they are miles away, they will be able to spot the magnificent temple of Jerusalem. They will be able to see this glorious building from a distance. And then you can imagine as they are journeying, as they are hiking their way there, it would stir up a sense of awe and wonder. Wow, the temple represents the presence of God. God Almighty. It would, you can imagine that it would stir a response of worship. Right. Okay, follow me where I'm going. Now, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When people see you from afar, your life should technically point towards the glory of God and stir up a response of worship towards God. Should. Should. Therefore, we are called to be witnesses. Witnesses. And to be a witness means we must bear a good testimony. To be a witness means we must bear a good testimony. So, but these days, our lives, don't, uh, our lives can be viewed not just from afar, but can be viewed up close as well. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Social media. And social media has the power to influence. Okay? Social media tells us uh, what we should wear. It tells us what we should eat. It tells us what we, we should like or dislike. It even influences to want to spend 460 ringgit for a burger. Okay? Social media has that kind of influence on our thinking and our behavior. And that's why we need to be careful about what we put out there. Now, I'm, I'm going to say that not all social media is bad. Not all influence of thinking is bad, but social media tends to influence and push the thinking of the world, some of which goes against the principles found in the Bible. Okay? So, we need to be careful what we put up on social media. Because what you put out there is going to be seen by people, obviously. I mean, I mean that's the purpose why it's put up there. So, be careful what you put up there that it does not contradict clearly, but also what you put up there should be an intentional witness. An intentional witness. Now, what we say and what we do needs to be interconnected. Our mind and our body, so our mind how we think and our body how we behave, should be in connected, uh, interconnected and must work as a coherent team. It means our mind, our body, what we say, what we do, must be coherent. Otherwise, people get confused. Or worse, they call us hypocrites. If we want to get a message across, we need to be clear and focused. Lah. Now, those of, them, those of you who are in, on the media team, you know very well that if your advertisement is messy, it talks about different, different things all over the place, the message does not get across. That's why for many designs, they keep it clean and simple, clear and focused, so that people know what message you are trying to get across. So for us, uh, 
how we portray our lifestyle, whether it is on social media, digitally, or whether it's physically on the workplace, we need to be uh, intentional witness, an intentional witness to the people who are around them. Now, why? Because of what the Scripture says. Do not be influenced by the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, be changed by the way that you think. Do not conform, do not be influenced by the patterns of this world, but influence this world for Jesus. Amen? So quiet. Do not be influenced by the patterns of this world, but influence this world for Jesus. For those of you who are social media influencers, influence the world for Jesus. Don't confuse the world that is already confused, but be clear by the lifestyle that you live. And that's why witness means you must bear a good testimony. And you ask why? Why do I have to do that? Why must I give up my, my patterns? Why must I give up my likes and dislikes? Why? Because this is your true and proper worship. To offer your life as a sacrifice. That's the sacrifice you pay. Why? In view of God's mercy. Why must we do all this? Because God sacrificed. Do you think the sacrifice you pay can ever uh, repay God's sacrifice? Doesn't need an answer. We know it's no. God paid a huge price for you and I. And in view of His great sacrifice, let us respond in worship. How do we respond in worship? By sacrificing our lives. Okay, so therefore, being a witness is a disciple's way of life. Being a witness is my way of life. Being a witness um, is sharing the gospel through my life. Let me come back again to the, the, the definitions that I mentioned on earlier. Now, Christians see witnessing as a commission they have to accomplish, right? Every uh, month of July, uh, Pastor Francis will share with us the, the mission, uh, theme, the things that we want to do, the great commission that we're called to go out there. Now, a Christian sees the Great Commission as something they have to accomplish. Yes, good. But disciples see witnessing as a commission they have to become. The gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost world. We have to change our way of life such that people who are lost can find hope. We have to live our life in such a way people who are de depressed can find hope. We have to live our lives in such a way that people who are stuck in darkness can see a light out of their, the, 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 life, the addiction that they are stuck in. And this message is so clear to us even more so in this pandemic season. When people are confused, lost, lost not just emotionally, but lost physically, out of, out of job, out of food. In such situations, let us learn to be the witness that points to God and brings light and hope to those who are living in a dark world. And so that's why we must return back to the first point. We need to return back to the first point. Disciples need to see themselves as a, a witness that they become, a commission that they become. And that's why worship is important first. Worship needs to come first. Otherwise, everything that we do becomes a task. Are your pastor another duty? Are your pastor another job to do? Are your pastor another prayer meeting? Are your pastor another class? 
if your relationship with God is merely a Christian who obeys commands, who follows rules, then you will eventually burn out and potentially fall away. But if a disciple is who you become, you have built a desire to follow Christ. You have built a desire to know who God is. You discover His character and it causes a response. Then, all that you do, all that God asks you to do becomes a natural fit because you are a disciple who loves God and loves to obey His command. And which is why our intimacy, our relationship with God must always precede our ministry for Him. I'll say that again. Our intimacy, our relationship with God must always precede our ministry for Him. Because if we come into church serving because someone else asked me, because there was a need, because I needed to, eventually these things will drain you out because you're doing it by human physical strength. But if your intimacy with God is precedence, what you're doing is out of joy and it's out of love. Who we are in Christ trumps over what we do for Him. Who we are in Christ trumps over what we do for Him. And church, you know, we here in Sumanja Assembly, we are very blessed. We're very blessed because we have very gifted teachers who really teach the Word of God. And it's an opportunity that's given to each and every one of us to sign up for SEG because the more we discover the Word of God, the more we discover the character of God, the more we discover the character of God, the more we want to respond in view of His mercies. Worship God. So don't take SEG, Bible study, don't take prayer meetings or, or, or every, every other offering as another chore. It's another thing that will eat up into my time. Offer your life. Offer your life as a sacrifice. The more you learn about who God is, the more you respond in worship. The more you respond in worship, the easier and the more natural your life becomes a witness that points to the glory of God. Okay, and so the third thing I want to share, the third characteristic of a God-fearing lifestyle, of a disciple's way of life is wisdom. Turn to another neighbor or someone in front or behind you and say, wisdom is a disciple's way of life. And this I plucked out from verse 2. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good pleasing and perfect will. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. Now the book of Proverbs chapter 9 verses 10 to 11 says this, The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. So the fear of the Lord is our foundation for wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Now if you look at the key text again, it says that if we are able to test and approve what God's will is, it should imply, it should mean that you're able to know what God's will is. You follow what I'm saying? If we can test and approve God's will, technically we should know what God's will is. 
Otherwise, if you don't know what God's will is, how are you going to test? How are you going to approve? Right? So if we are able to test and approve God's, what God's will is, it, sh- it means that you are able to know what God's will is. And if, I know for many people, wow, knowing God's will is such a, a, a temptation, a, such a desire for us to know God's will for our life. And if we are able to know what God's will is, it also means, therefore, that you're able to do what God's will is. And if you're able to do what's, what God's will is, then wisdom will uh, define your way of life. You follow with me? You follow what I'm saying? If we know God's will, and God's will is the best, and if we know God's will and we can follow God's will, people will begin to say, wow, this guy is so clever, man. How he know these kind of things when the rest of us cannot predict? Or how, and perhaps they talk about um, investments. Or how, how does this guy know how to respond in a, a crisis situation like COVID-19? It's because the person must have had a heavenly revelation. And when a person gets a heavenly revelation, people will be amazed and in awe of that person's wisdom. So James chapter 1, verses 5 to 8 says this, If you need wisdom... Ask our generous God, and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask Him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by their wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Now, if you look at what James is saying, and you compare it with what Paul had said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't conform. Then you will know what God's will is. What James is saying. If you want to ask God for wisdom, don't be wavering left and right. Essentially, what both of them are saying are the same thing. Do not be influenced by the pattern of this world. Make up your mind. Decide to stand firm for Jesus. Then you will receive wisdom. Then you will know the will of God. Then you will be able to test and approve that God's will is good, is pleasing, and is perfect. So don't waver between the the opinions of God, the opinions of the world and the writings of God. Don't waver. If if you find yourself uh, constantly um, coming to crossroads and not knowing what to do, don't waver. Ask God. And James says, He will generously give it to you. He will generously give it to you. Now, last week, when we were having cell in LifeGen, we did a spiritual gifts test. And for a number of the young people, you know, it turns out that, maybe because they are fresh from studying, uh, some of them are students, it turns out that many of the young people had knowledge as uh, a spiritual gift. Okay, knowledge is a good thing. But one of the young, young men said this, my knowledge is so high, but my wisdom score so low. And so he's saying, he's like, what's the point of having so much knowledge if you don't know what to do with it? What's the point of having so much knowledge if you don't know what to do with it? And I think that speaks so much truth to us here today. Many of us, we have lived life, okay? We've gained so much experience in life, okay? We've learned. Every day is a learning day and we've gained so much knowledge from the school of life. The, the school, what the college of Knox, is it? 
And we've got all this information experience. But what are you going to do with all these things? And so the world is like that. The world is full of information. Everything at the tip of your fingers now, everything at the, the click of the keys, ask Google. And you have all this information readily available for you. And yet, in this modern world full of data and information, we still f- find crises of, of uh, abandoned children. We still find crises of broken marriages, broken relationships. We still find crises of people falling into depression, falling into anxiety. All this knowledge is for nothing if people don't know what to do with it. And so, we are called to be witnesses. We are called to show wisdom with what God has given you. He has given you the Word of God, the hope of eternal life. He's given it to you. What are you going to do with this information? So again, we need to return to our first point, worship. We need to have a relationship with God in order for us to be able to approach Him in the first place. We need to have built that, that, that stability, that relationship, that understanding, the recognizing of God's voice to be able to ask Him for heavenly wisdom. And so wisdom is knowing what to do with all the knowledge, right? Wisdom is knowing what to do with all the knowledge we have accumulated in life. But heavenly wisdom, heavenly wisdom is hearing directly God's voice, His word, and His direction for your life. Heavenly wisdom is hearing God's voice, God's word, and God's direction for your life. And definitely obeying it. Definitely obeying it. We can point to others the, 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 the light of Jesus Christ. We can point to others the hope that is available in Jesus Christ. Wisdom should be a characteristic of a disciple's way of life. So the truth here is this. Okay, the truth here is this. As smart as we are, as wise as we are, as experienced as, as, and as learned as we are, sometimes we just cannot comprehend the ways of God. Correct? No matter how brilliant we are, no matter how much study we've done or how many doctorates and degrees that we have, there are situations in life that stump us. We just don't know what to do. But ultimately, we have our loving Father who knows all things, who is the answer to every question that we have in this world. And we can have access to Him. We can have this access to our God for His heavenly wisdom. So disciples... This is a very, very key truth. Disciples, we don't always know what we're doing, but we always know who we're with. We don't always know what we're doing, but we always know who we're with. And technically, you can exchange that. We don't always know where we're going, but we know who we're with. We don't always know why we're doing, but we know who we're with. We don't know when. We don't know how. We don't know every of those but we do know who we're going with. And this is a truth that we can take with us as we live a disciple's way of life. Can I invite the worship team to come, please? So let me read to you once again the key golden verse for this month. Romans chapter 12. 
verse 1 to 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Don't be influenced by them, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed with how you think. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will, what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We as disciples are called to know God and worship Him. We are called to read His Word, obey His Word, and witness for Him. We are called to know His voice and act with wisdom. In view of God's mercy, offer your life to Him. Sacrifice what needs to be sacrificed. Don't be influenced by the patterns of this world, but rather renew your mind and be transformed. Renew your way you think and be transformed. Let the way that you think be coherent with the way that you behave. Let the words that you speak be coherent with how you behave. Let us bring hope and light to a lost world, a desperate world, greatly in need of an answer. So a disciple is who we are called to become. And discipleship is our way of life.